There we go. I think that's working properly. All right. There's the notification. This morning, we should be looking at the lectionary readings for the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, but we kind of stopped the last hour and I'm just gonna, we're just going to continue on with the last hour because it just, it just makes the most sense to do so. That's where it won't be all. And then tonight we can work, work on the lectionary. So let's go back to our study and work on Bible geography and see what we can accomplish. A couple of things. First of all, let's do this. Let's do a, a bigger review because in the last hour we really didn't review. Let's remind ourselves of this, okay? Tip, uh, when we think of Bible geography, uh, we remember Bible geography is, uh, falls into three categories. And those three categories were physical geography, human geography, and natural history. All right. And we looked up biblical examples of all three of those. All right. Remember, physical geography studies the natural features of the earth and the natural uh, forces that affect them. Human geography is the way which human beings interact and respond to geography, growing food, securing water, building shelter, traveling, labeling locations and burying family. Natural history refers to the plants, the insects, the trees, the animals that inhabit a region. And, and anyone who reads the Bible know you come you read about all of those things, do you not? And so we, there is no question about it. The Bible is full of all, all of geography and all three of those categories. There is no question about that. We, we spent great amount of time working on that. But we then begin to pose kind of a question that you're really not supposed to pose when you're studying uh, geography or doing a, a study on Bible geography. But I do everything differently. I started saying, okay, the Bible has geography. And then I kind of said, big deal. Who cares? Right? And we started asking the question, well, how critical is it to understand geography in order to understand the Bible? Because there are a number of things that are required for anyone to properly interpret or understand literature of any kind in historical narrative. We talked about a list of those things in the last hour, that these are the things you need to know. Now, I've said so many times in the Protestant world, we live, the Protestant world is strange to me, right? Because on one hand, the Protestant world makes this claim. The church doesn't have the authority and power. The authority and power is supposed to be found in the Scripture, and every individual has the authority, power, and most Protestants will, will even claim the ability to interpret the Bible to such a degree that the person in the pew can judge the church, can judge the preacher, can determine if what is preached is right or wrong, and who gets to determine if it's right and wrong? The person in the pew. Now, now, no, that sounds so good, but we can understand the ramifications of that. The ramifications are that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of denominations and churches and independent churches and house groups and small groups and, and people who don't even go to church who will then tell everyone who goes to church that they're wrong. Like it is. So the, and which is weird is the pastor will say God is talking to him. The person in the pew will say God is talking to them and yet they can't agree on how to interpret the Bible. That is, that is really bizarre. And then to add to all of that, most Christians believe 
that their ability to interpret the Bible has nothing to do with understanding geography, language, history, syntax, none of that. They believe that they possess the ability to, to interpret the Bible supernaturally, that when they became a Christian, now the Holy Spirit teaches them, which is another bizarre twist, right? Because if every Christian has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is teaching them, then he's obviously teaching every Christian something different, which is even more bizarre. So the whole thing is confounding. So then if we were to add geography to the list of things that are required to know the Bible, let's be honest, no one in the pew really cares because they don't think they need to know any of that to interpret the Bible. They just believe they have the natural ability to interpret the Bible. All right, and 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 we we talked about it in the first hour. It's so weird because the Protestant church, if 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 someone says they want to be you know a minister, then they're basically will go off to Bible college, go off to seminary, pay all of that money so that you can return to stand behind a pulpit, so the people who never go to Bible college or seminary can tell you that you are wrong. <laughs> like, does anyone ever look at our system and go? This thing is so broken, it's not even funny. But all of that said, if in my estimation, because I reject so much of that whole framework that's out there, but if we say geography is required, well, then we need to know that because then that, that would really do what? Challenge a lot of people's ability to interpret the Bible. So, so far, we've done a little bit of tests. We've done a little bit of work. And what we have found is that sometimes... Bible geography provides us a little interesting insight, a little background, but almost every biblical example we've looked at so far, and we've just scratched the surface, has only done what? It's only given us maybe a little information, but for the most part, what gave us our understanding? The text itself. The text itself explained it. But then, in the last hour, we stumbled upon what possibly is the first time where now biblical geography is of the utmost importance. So here is the hypotheses that I'm going to put forth in this first hour, or this second hour, okay? Yeah, first hour. We have another hour coming after this. Okay, but in this hour, here is the hypotheses I'm going to put forth. You ready? That the most critical element to biblical geography is... The covenant God made with Abraham and the land promised to Abraham. Because the Bible from almost Genesis to Revelation, that land becomes critical to understanding so much of it. Because that land is referenced over and over and over and over and over again. So that's where we're going to go back to and we're going to do a little bit of work on that land, okay? So, so we're going to be all involved in this, so make sure you got Bible dictionaries. Let's see where, where we're going to go. I, this, I'm winging all of this because this is nothing to do with, this is nothing, none of this is in my notes. I decided just to change course completely here because I think this, because we kind of stumbled onto this and I think we're onto something here, right? So you remember I like doing things in real time. So are you ready? Let's, let's do a little bit of work. Okay, so let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. All right. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. All right. We're going to try to put this together and see what we can find. Okay. Genesis chapter 12. 
we read this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. So we stopped in the last hour looking at what thy country is, as Sarah pointed out. In Genesis eleven thirty one, we have the name of this country, right? Because we have uh, Terah t- took Abram, the son of Lot and the son of Haran, his son's son, Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. So we have three places mentioned in chapter 31, do we, or chapter 31, chapter 11, verse 31, right? And those three places are what? Ur, the land of Canaan, and Haran, all right? So first, let's do this, uh, and just everyone grab a Bible dictionary really quick. Let's look up Ur. We did a little bit of reading of it, but we'll do a little bit more. Okay. Let's see what we can find here. All right. Oh, there's a lot here we could go through. But let's go through a little bit of this, all right? Ur, Abraham's native city and southern Mesopotamia, an important metropolis of the ancient world situated on the Euphrates River, strategic, strategically situated about halfway between the head of the Persian Gulf and Baghdad and present-day Iraq. Now, the main thing is to understand is that it was an important what? Metropolis, meaning that it was a major and significant city, right? Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because Abram is told to do what? Leave a very important metropolis. Everybody see that? All right. It was the capital of summer for two centuries, until Elamites captured the city. The city came to be known as Ur of the Chaldeans after the Chaldeans entered southern Babylon after 1000 BC. References to the Ur of the Chaldeans in connection with Abraham are thus examples of later editorial updating. Now that last phrase means what? That it shouldn't have been called Ur of the Chaldeans at this time, right? So this time it wouldn't have been known by that name that later on they, they added that there. They probably added that there so that people would have a better understanding of where it was, all right? But meaning, that could mean then that it was important to know where it was. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now, the ne- now this is important. Abram lived in the city of Ur at the height of its splendor. The city was a prosperous center of religion and industry. Thousands of recovered clay documents attest to thriving business activity. Uh, Excavations of the Royal Cemetery, which dates from about uh, 2900 to 2500 BC, have revealed surprisingly advanced culture uncovered where beautiful jewelry, art treasures, including headwear, personal jewelry, and exquisite dishes and cups. The most important thing to know that is he's leaving a wealthy city, a city that has everything and God tells him to leave it. Now that information immediately makes the text very important. Now, Stephen, after Sunday school ended, brought up a very important point. 
Who comes with uh, Abraham as he leaves this area? And well, a lot, a lot comes. Now we know later on when there's a dispute between Lot and Abram's herdsmen, right? Abram is like, okay, you pick where you want to go. And Lot picks a, the, the land that's more fertile and he ends up where? In Sodom. Typically we preach that as what? This shows Lot loved the world, that he was sinful. And we kind of we throw Lot a little bit under the bus. Now he deserves to get thrown under the bus for everything he does. But at that point, there may be an explanation to why he ends up there. Where is he from? Ur. He's from city. He's from a place that has everything. And he's been wandering around nowhere. And so when he gets a chance to choose, you may see why he would go towards a direction where there's a city. Because we, So in other words, sometimes some of the actions of people that we assign nefarious motivation... Sometimes maybe knowing the region and the area can sometimes maybe we may cause us to not so judge people harshly, right? Would that make a little bit of sense? So he's, so Abram's in this beautiful metropolis that has everything and he's told to leave. And where does he end up? Where's the first place they go? Haran. Okay, let's, what do we know about Haran? Let's look up Haran. Whoever can find the entry to Haran. Okay, so he, um, Ur was located southern, and so they're headed north. They go north, all right? Okay, see, look at that. See? Look at that, see? We're going to have Sarah start teaching all of this, okay? All right, all right, this is good. So which river are they following? The Euphrates. So look at you, you guys. See, I don't. Y'all don't even need me. See, I'm just going to go home. All right. I don't need me at all. Y'all know this better than I do. Okay. Right. I know. I I focused on the ideas and the concepts, not all of these kinds of things. But hey, this is good. Where's the entry for Haran? I'm missing it. There it is. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 540. It could to 540 or yeah, 540. Right. Yeah, 540. All right. Haran, a city of northern Mesopotamia. Abraham and his father, Terah, lived there for a time. Uh, The family of Abraham's brother, Nahor, also lived in the city for a time, as did Jacob and his wife. The city was on the, how do do we uh, pronounce that? The tributary of the Euphrates, Balak, maybe. Okay, a tributary of the Euphrates River, uh, 240 miles northwest of Nineveh. And 280 miles north of Damascus, Haran lay on one of the main trade routes between Babylonia and the Mediterranean Sea. Like the inhabitants of Ur of the Chaldeans, Haran's inhabitants worshipped Sin, the moon god. 2 Kings 19.2 records that the city was captured by the Assyrians. Today, Haran is a small Arab village. All right? So, one thing is important, is they left a place of idolatry. They stop in a place of idolatry. Okay, just make sure we know that. We know that Ur was the big place. It, do, do we get a lot of information about Haran and how, like, its comparison to Ur? We don't, really. Probably was probably much more, probably far less than what they had 
left. Okay, I think, I, think, I think that's a fair assumption. Can we agree to that? That's a pretty fair assumption. All right, so they go from this amazing place to here. All right, now, where are they supposed to be headed according to chapter 11, verse 31? To Canaan. All right, look up Canaan now. Right? So they're traveling north, they're following the river, right? And they're headed towards Canaan. Now let's see what we find when we look up Canaan. Okay. All right, I think we can, it's called, yeah, it's the land of purple, which is interesting. It's the name of a man and a land or region in the Old Testament. So we can skip the man. That means that's entry number two. And it's a region along the Mediterranean Sea, occupied by the Canaanites before it was taken and settled by the Israelite people. The land of Canaan stretched from the Jordan River on the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. From south to north, it covered the territory between the Sinai Peninsula and the ancient coastal nation of Phoenicia. Most of this territory was dry, mountainous, and rocky, unfit for cultivation, but it also contained many fertile farmlands, particularly in the river valleys of the coastal plain along the sea. While leading the people of Israel towards the land of Canaan, Moses sent scouts and spies. So then now it jumps over to where Moses comes into play. The land of Canaan was ideally situated on the trade routes that stretched from Egypt and the south to Syria, Phoenicia, and the north, and the ancient Babylonian empire to the east. The location gave the small region a strategic position in the ancient world. After the Israelites captured the land of Canaan, they developed a thriving commercial system by trading goods with other nations along the trade routes. Right, the first royal purple dye was manufactured in Canaan, giving the territory its name. All right, that's a pretty big region. Now, does it, uh, who has a map anywhere near them? If you have a map, can you figure out where Ur was and to where Canaan is? Because it's a lot, pretty long distance away. Yeah, completely opposite sides. It's a long direction. Right. Had a long ways to go. Right. There you go. Now, so every now you see, so what Sarah is saying, they followed a river because they had to, then they got to the trade route. And then they had they had the direction they're supposed to be going. All right, but it's a it's I mean it's I mean if you look at a map I, I mean I don't know the actual miles but it's a long ways right. Yeah, easily, and that's and that's a thousand miles not by airplane. Okay, so this is what we can say just knowing this information. Now, it doesn't mean, like, I can't, I can still understand the story of Abraham without all of this information, right? But this at least shows me what? When he's called to leave and to go, he's called to leave and go to a, I mean, he, I mean, he's going a long way that's not easily to travel that far in that particular time, right? And they, and they're very dependent upon the river. 
and, and well, hopefully nothing else happens. Okay. So now go back to, uh, now go to Genesis chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall uh, all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Right, so they make it to Iran. They stay there, and if you look at uh, chapter or chapter eleven, verse thirty-two, the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. So they get to Iran and they stay there until his father dies. Then he leaves. Right now, once they leave, now they're on this long journey, and well, everything begins to take place in this journey. Correct. Right? If you look at verse 5, Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their substance, and they gathered uh, the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and, and, the, uh, and into the land of Canaan they came. And they passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim. Now let's look up Sikkim. Okay, what, what do we find here? Our Sikkim, Sikkim, yeah. Uh, it uses S-I. How does uh, the, yeah. Okay, Shechem. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Okay, you have to. All right, good. All right, so Shechem is the, what we need to look up. Let's look it up. All right, we want the city. All right, so it... Situated where main highways and ancient trade routes converge. Once again, where does he keep traveling? Trade routes. Known roads, right? Uh, Shechem was an important city along, uh, along before the Israelites occupied Canaan. The city had been destroyed and rebuilt several times through the centuries. Shechem is first mentioned in connection with Abram's journey into the land of Canaan. When Abraham eventually came to Shechem, the Lord appeared to him and announced that this, that this was the land that he would give to Abraham's descendants. Genesis 12, 6 they have here. In Genesis 12, 6 reads, And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanites was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar, and the Lord who had appeared unto him. Now, immediately starting right here, this becomes important, right? Because Shechem is the first place where He is at, and God says, I'm going to give you this land. He's in a real place called Shechem, and that's the land. Now, uh, do you have your map? Oh, does it? Okay, let's go back to your map. Yeah, if you have maps in your Bible or anywhere else. Okay. Okay, and where is it? 
Okay. North of Galilee. All right. I'm looking. All right. Okay. Oh, it's it. Um, okay, so it's like right in the middle. Oh, yeah, there it is. There's Shechem. Okay, I see it now. Yeah, it's kind of right in the middle. Now, when it, so it says that land. Now, that, um, it doesn't give us any borders or anything at that point, right? It just says in that text, look at Genesis 12, 6 again. It just, just gives us this land, right? It doesn't explain much of anything at that point. There's no borders. There's no anything situ- given, right? Can we all agree? Okay. So, but we, if you see, now they, they have been traveling. Okay, good. All right. All right, good. And that, no, that's fine. That, that's looking all of this up, trying to get us an idea. But the, now, but you can see at this point, why is this important? At this point, geography just became super important. Why did it become important? And if anybody wants to see it here, if anybody needs a map, Shechem is located, where is it? I found it a little a minute ago and then I lost it. It is right here. See it? Right there. Okay. All right. I mean, it's right there in the middle. It's right there in the middle. Like in this map, the area they have labeled as Israel, it's like right in the middle, okay? It's like right there in the middle of it. Okay, now, so, now, just, before we look at anything else, just stop for a second, okay? Now, this is where now geography becomes important, right? Because we have to know exactly where this is if we believe what... Now, if, depending on your theology, geography would be less important, right? If you believe those land promises to Israel are no longer in effect and they're done away with, do you really need to know where the land is? No, right? They don't care because whatever it was, it doesn't no longer matters. But if you believe that this promise is still to Israel, it becomes important. So we want to know exactly where it's located. Yes. Right. So if we look now, it doesn't give us any borders yet. So we got to, we got to, we got to continue to pursue this and see where else we can find. What else does it say here about it? It says Shechem unto the plain. Well, he passed through the land unto the places of Shechem unto the plain of Morah and the Canaanites were there. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pinched his, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east, and there he built an altar uh, unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. So, as he leaves Shechem, he goes to a mountain on the east of Bethel. Can anybody figure out where that is? What mountain does he go to? Can anybody find it? I see Bethel right here. The only mountain I see. It's, uh, no, uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem's on the other side of Jerusalem. Bethel is on the north side and uh, Bethlehem is on the south side. About the same distance. 
You see it? Yeah, because the, the mountains I see are further up, right? You got uh, Mount Ebal and Mount uh, Gerizim, which is right next to Shechem. So I don't think that, so I don't know exactly which mountain that is. Oh, yeah, let's look it up. Yeah. Look up uh, Bethel. Let's do this. Or Bethel. Okay. I know. Well, let's look up Bethel in the, uh, the Bible dictionary and see if it tells us anything about which mountain this could have possibly been. What do we find in the Bible dictionary? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So all we know is he pitched his tent of the West and it doesn't, that doesn't give us a mountain, which mountain there. All right. And, uh, Hey, I, do we, did we figure where Hey, I is? Oh, uh, well, the, uh, the King James has H A I. Okay, you, you found it. It's not listed uh, in, in this map. It's not listed. They don't have it. They just like it's. So it must have been something somewhat insignificant. Uh, look up in the Bible dictionary. See if we find anything. The King James has H A I. The uh, the NIV has A I. <laughs> not artificial intelligence. So I don't know if you want to look up A I or Hey I. Or you may not even find it in the Bible dictionary. Yeah, it may, it may not be anything of great significance. Oh, you found it? What does it say? Two cities. And did they mention which one is associated with Abraham being somewhere near it? The first one? Okay. First one, all right, uh, a Canaanite city, all right, located east of Bethel, besides Beth-Avon, and north of Michmash. Many years before Joshua's time, Abraham pitched his tent at Ai before journeying to Egypt. Uh, Ai figures prominently in the story of Israel's conquest of Canaan. After Joshua conquered Jericho, he sent a man to spy out Ai and the surrounding countryside because Ai was small the spies assured Joshua that he could take uh, Ai with only a handful of soldiers. Uh, Joshua dispatched about 3,000 soldiers at, to attack. The army was soundly defeated due to Achan's sin. All right, so it's a small, insignificant place that, well, plays a role. All right, so the, that gives us a little bit, not, not everything, all right? Then... Abraham journeyed going on still towards the south and there was a famine in the land. So then he takes a detour. Where does he go? He goes to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. So you see where Bethel is? Now where, where does he have to go to get to Egypt? Right? Yeah, yeah he has to take a, a, a... Okay, he has to take a detour, does he not? All right, so he takes a detour and goes to Egypt. 
Now, here's what we need to do. Now, that, that's all interesting, and we can follow him around on a map and go, oh, here, this is where he is, this is where he is. Here's what we need to do. Here's your test. All right, you ready? All right, I need you to start skimming from Genesis 12, and I need you to find the next time God makes or speaks the covenant to Abraham and starts giving him more details about the land which he's going to possess and his children and his seed. All right, because chapter 13, I mean, lots of places are mentioned through all of this, right? One place after another place after another place. But at some point, it's going to get a little bit more significant and it's going to get more specific. Okay, there we go. Genesis 15, 18. All right, here we go. Everybody look at verse 18. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying unto the seed, I have given this land. That's the same phrase he used in Shechem, right? I'm going to give you this land. And then what does he say? From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. All right. Now, anyone got a map? It's from the Nile to the Euphrates, okay? Oh, well, we definitely know they don't have that. Okay, I, well, there's some arguments. I'm going to say even if they did have it, the, the promise is made after that they're going to have it, so it doesn't matter. Um, so if you have a map, I don't know if I have a map that greatly uh, demonstrates how much of the land they're supposed to have. Okay. Oh, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. That basically his journey, his journey through is the land, right? I mean, would that, would that, would that be fair to say? I think that would be fair to say. Yeah. All the way down. Yeah, that's, man, that covers... <laughs> That covers everything, does it not? I mean, that's, I mean, that's so much that is covered here. I, yeah, that, I mean, I'm trying to, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a lot. So that, uh, yeah, you should just look at, uh, go ahead. Oh, does he? Well, find it, find it. All right. Stephen is saying that later on to Moses, God gets even more specific and gives borders and, and specific. So if you can find where that is, and it's, I'm assuming it's in Exodus, right? I, it's not in Leviticus, so it's Exodus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. If we can find out where that is, then maybe we can even get a more specific location of the. This is where geography becomes the most important. If we can find that, then we can, we can wrap this up a little bit because this becomes super important here. I know people listening online going, what in the world is this church doing? Okay, right. Well, we're... It's quite, yeah, 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 you see it? Yeah, from the Nile to... Yeah. Yep. Yeah, all of it, yeah. Okay, Sarah is saying it's in Exodus 24, if everybody wants to look there. Exodus 24. 
Exodus 24, do we have verses? Which verse were you referencing? Oh, okay, okay, no, that's good, that's good. All right, let's see if we can uh, find it here. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure it's there. Okay, well, you know what? That's what I'm actually getting ready to do. No, I know. (laughs) All right, give me one second. Yeah, we're going to do this in real time. All right, hang on. Let's see. We'll see what they're going to give me. It's It's all your power to ask it the right question, really. Okay, all right. All right, here we go. Abraham is promised land in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Genesis. Here is an outline of the promise to Abraham. Summary. God made a covenant with Abraham, promising him and his descendants a land that would be an everlasting possession. Oh, did everyone hear that? An everlasting possession. Okay, all right. This promise is foundational to the history of Israel and the biblical narrative. Right? Did everyone hear that? Right? Why is that important? Because this is where geography is critical to the biblical narrative. Right? Okay? Now, they give us Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which we've already looked at. They give us, give us Genesis 13, 14 through 17, which doesn't offer us much more. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, no, okay, no, that doesn't give us much more. Then we have Genesis 15, which we've looked at. Uh, here's what they say. The promise, okay, God made a covenant with Abraham specifying the boundaries of the land promised to him from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates, which we were were defining as the Nile to the Euphrates, okay? A promised territory. Uh, The land includes the territory of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of territory, right? Genesis 17, establishment of covenant. God established his covenant with Abraham and his descendants promising to be their God and give them the land of Canaan. All right, it doesn't really give us any more direction. And then the promise of land made to Abraham in the Old Testament is lays the foundation for the establishment of the nation of Israel and its connection to the land of Canaan. The covenant is considered a central aspect of Israel's identity and relationship with God throughout biblical history. Right? Doesn't give us more specifics. Oh, Joshua 1.4. Let's look at that. Joshua 1.4. Right? Joshua 1.4. For some reason, Joshua has left my Bible. Here we go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Joshua 1. Thanks for telling me that. Joshua 1 4. All right. Um, oh, well, here, this is interesting. Okay. 
Um, every place, uh, Joshua 1.3, every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon that I have given unto you as I said unto Moses. Now, if we could figure out where that cross-reference is, where he said unto Moses, that may give us that passage that Stephen was referencing. All right. uh, from the wilderness, oh, here we go. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. What is the great sea? Mediterranean? Okay. What do, what do we think? That's just that's Joshua one four. Okay, so then it even breaks it down even more. Okay, all right. Here we go. The great sea mentioned in Joshua one four refers to the Mediterranean Sea. In this verse, God is speaking to Joshua, who's about to lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan. The Mediterranean Sea is located to the west of the land of Canaan and would have been a well-known geographical feature to the Israelites at the time. The mention of the Great Sea in Joshua 1.4 serves as a geographical reference point to the extent of the land that God promised to give the Israelites under Joshua's leadership. All right? So from, uh, so from the great river of the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea toward, uh, towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Right? So if you look at a map, you definitely can see the Mediterranean Sea on at least most of the maps, right? Okay. All right. So are they supposed to get all of those lands too? Is that what we're saying? Well, that, see, it. I mean, that's Mediterranean? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Doesn't it? Or, or am I misreading it? Okay. Okay. Uh huh. West. Uh huh. Right. There you go. Right. Did you did you hear those measurements? Read that again. All the Palestinians, Palestinians. man, no, they, yes, all of that. Now, here is now. So this is what I want us to do. Now we can stop looking at everything. All right. And we still I mean, obviously, you can see in Genesis place after place after place after place after place is mentioned. I mean, it's all over the place. Right. But here is what. I, OK, go ahead. Did you find it? Oh, Numbers chapter 34. Wait, we, let's, we have another thing to look at. All right, let's do it. Okay. Numbers 34. All right. Which verse do we want here? Okay. Um, we can start. And the Lord spake unto Moses, 
Command the children of Israel and say unto them, this is Numbers 34, when you come into the land of Canaan, this is a land that shall fall into, unto you for your inheritance, even the land of Canaan with the coasts thereof. Then your south quarter shall be from the wilderness of Zen along by the coast of Edom and your south border shall be the outmost coast of the Salt Sea eastward. And your border shall turn from the south to the ascent of Akrabim and to pass on to Zin. And the going forth there shall be from the south to Kadesh Barnea and shall go on to Hara-Adadar and pass on to Asmon. And the border shall fetch a compass from Asmon unto the river of Egypt, and the going out of it shall be at the sea. As for the west border, it gives you all, I mean, we can go and read all of this. It gets very specific. It gets very specific. It's got north, south, east, west. It's got the borders. Okay, and that, that gives you every, now we could look up every single one of that, but I think we're going to pretty much end up with what Sarah just summarized, right? It's got, I mean, from north to south, east to west, everything Israel has, everything the Palestinians, Jordan, part of Saudi Arabia, all of, I think all of Iraq uh, has pretty much the, everything in the, that area, right? So you can look at a modern day map and just say, all of that belongs to Israel. Now, why is that important? Now, now this is where geography, now, a lot of things about geography, I think we hype too much. This is the central part of geography to me. And why is this? Because this promise of the land is mentioned in Genesis. It's talked about in Exodus. It's mentioned in Numbers. It's mentioned in Joshua. Okay, it's in Deuteronomy. And not only that, when we get to the promise of the new covenant, Land is mentioned again. And over and over and over, there's these promises of Israel's going to be restored and they're going to come back into the land. They're going to come back into the land. Come back into the land. If you don't know what land that is, then you're left somewhat in the dark. This is where you need to know the land. And because now this comes down to what? All of that mention of land and all of that geography stresses what? key element in hermeneutics. All of this, we, we've just spent almost an hour right now and all we've been doing is looking up the name of places and looking up entries and maps and everything we've been looking. Some people may say that it was a, a waste of time, but it wasn't a waste of time because everything we just looked at was what? Someone just say, literal. We looked at literal places. We looked at literal places on a map. Literal the Mediterranean Sea, Shechem, all of these places are literal places, meaning that all of this story takes place in the context of literal geography. Now, if it takes place in the, in the, in, in the context of literal geography, and then God promises land, what's the only way to understand that promise of land? As literal. Now, the argument is, is that in Joshua... They possessed all of it. That's always the argument. Okay, but we know this. They lost it. Even if, they, even if we say they possessed all of it. Now we do know this, even in Joshua. What is the one thing they didn't do? They didn't defeat and drive out all of their enemies. In many places, they just left those people there and they, and they may have been kind of a tributary. Uh, you know, they, they had to pay tribute, but they still were not, they didn't really control the area per se, right? 
So, but even if we say they controlled it all, they lose it. Now, if they lose it, the question is, by losing the land, did they lose the promise? The promise seems to be what? A promise of an everlasting promise, a, a promise made by God. So then if they didn't have, they don't have the land, then that becomes critical. So you got to know where the land is, correct? You've got to know where the land is. Now, from an all-millennial position or reform position, they do what with all of that land promise? That it, it doesn't matter anymore. It's irrelevant. It's done. And that we get the land promise in some kind of spiritual way which I think is the most ridiculous thing. And the reason I think it's the most ridiculous thing is why would you spend all of that time trying to understand the location to just later on say that it's not a location? So let's do this. Look in, I I need you to look in Ezekiel and I need you to look in Jeremiah at the promises of the new covenant and find the places where land is mentioned. I want you to just see it for yourself so that we can just lay this part of Bible geography, we can just lay it to rest and be once and all settled on this. All right? So start looking in Jeremiah and look in Ezekiel for the new covenant promises. Because he specifically says in Jeremiah, and I believe he specifically says in Ezekiel that he's going to make a new covenant. I know in Jeremiah it says a new covenant. Yeah. And I believe in Ezekiel it says the same thing. When you find the passages, yell them out. Everyone should be able to find the Jeremiah one. 31, okay? Everybody knows where Jeremiah 31 is. Okay, so we'll look at Jeremiah 31 in just a second and then find the Ezekiel one. Should be pretty easy. And we're familiar with the Jeremiah one because that's the one that caused us all the kind of theological problems. Okay. Well, let, well, let's start in Jeremiah 31. Okay. Let's, let's start in Jeremiah 31. Okay. Hang on. I'm going to do something here. Okay. Well, that, hey, that, that, that's still, we know what land that is, right? Okay. Yeah, so you keep Ezekiel marked. Let's go to Jeremiah 31 really quick because we, uh, uh, we can probably eliminate this relatively quick. Yeah, because everything is going to tell us to go to Jeremiah 31. I think Ezekiel 36 is where you want to be, but I could be wrong. All right. Everybody ready? All right, Jeremiah 31. We'll start in verse 31. I believe it's 31, right? I think it's where it starts. Okay, yeah, 31. Everybody ready? Jeremiah 31, 31. Right? You look for land, right? Look for land. Everybody ready? Here we go. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now, the land of Egypt, ladies and gentlemen, is that a literal land that it's referenced? Yes, obviously, right? Which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Does he acknowledge they broke the covenant? Yes, okay. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. In other words, he's going to make a new covenant, right? 
Yes, okay, I think we can get that. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their, in their, in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them until the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light, uh, by day and an ordinance of the moon, of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea, uh, when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off the seed of Israel for they have done for all they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Heniel unto the gate of the corner, and the measuring line shall go forth against it upon the uh, the hill Gareb, uh, and shall come past to Goath, and the whole valley of the dead bodies, and of the ashes, and all the fields of the brook of Kidron, under the corner of the horse gate, towards the east, shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up, nor thrown down, any more forever. Now, primarily there, it doesn't mention specific land, but it's, it obviously is referencing what? What city? Jerusalem. So it is mentioning a specific city. It doesn't mention any specific land there, but it does mention uh, Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and it's, and, and it, well, much larger than uh, most of uh, things would, would recognize, all right? So there's at least not a direct relation to the land, but some, all right? Now the other passage is Ezekiel 36. Now does this offer us any help? Okay, well, that could be very important, right? Yeah, this could be very important. Ezekiel 36. Yeah, so Ezekiel 36, we'll start in verse 26. Yeah, oh, should we, because uh, that's where the covenant starts being made, right? Or does he start it somewhere else? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, there, okay. Verse three, therefore prophesy, thus saith the Lord, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side. You might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen and you're taken up in the lips of talkers and are in infamy of the people. Therefore, your mountains, therefore ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus say the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate waste and to the cities that are forsaken, which become a prey and uh, derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Edomia, which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, which with despiteful minds to cast it out for prey. Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel and say unto the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury because you have borne the shame of the heathen. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen are about you. They shall bear their shame. But ye, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches. You yield uh, your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and you shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the ways shall be builded. So what he's basically saying is the heathen have taken all this land, and what is he promising? Yeah, Israel's going to get it all back. Yeah, that's clearly, the land is all over this. Can everyone agree with that? All right, is there one specific verse that jumps out here about the land? Uh, Bobby says thirty-seven twenty-one, and say, uh, and clearly this is after the uh, the new covenant has been talk, talked about in, in chapter thirty-six, verse twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven. Oh, look, uh, verse twenty-eight of thirty-six. Th- th- this solves it right here. This is the end. We, we don't need to go any further. What does he say in thirty-six twenty-eight? And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That, that it, it's over right there, ladies and gentlemen. That is direct relation to the new covenant and what is promised to them in, in relation to the new covenant. Land. What land? And we've seen the land that he promised to his fathers. All right. And what? Uh, uh, okay. Um, yes. Uh, oh, look at 30. I think 3721 is what you said, Bobby. And, and he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. There you go. And now look what he says in 22. I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. And then it talks about everything that's going to happen. All right. So here's what we can say. All right. Because we're out of time. Okay. Go ahead. Did you have another one? They will live there forever. Okay. All right. So here's what we can say. Right. Our hypothesis was this. Bible geography, for whatever other it does for us, it becomes absolutely essential to understanding the land promised to Abraham and to Israel. Why Bible geography becomes so key is we've got to be able to identify to the best of our ability exactly what land is being referred to. And we got a pretty good idea of what it's referring to, right? Almost everything on a map of that area. Almost everything, right? I mean, I mean that covers Nile to the Euphrates, from the Mediterranean to what's the other one? Oh, you okay, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, all that area, that whole area. So once we realize that, we can determine first, they don't have it now. If they did have it, it was short-lived. They lost it, but then in the new covenant, it once again tells them they're going to have that land. How do you read? If Bible geography means anything, then what does it mean? It means this that we have to take then these promises to be what? 
Literal. There's just no way. Why would you go to that great extent throughout the entire Old Testament? That, that land is mentioned how? I mean, over and over and over, is it not? It's over and over and over it mentions land, 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 from this area to this area. It's so specific. And then you get to the new covenant and it just picks it right back up. You're going to get the land that was promised to your fathers. That land that had been talked about from where? Genesis 12 all the way to Ezekiel, all the way to Jeremiah. And when we get to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they don't have that land. They, so if you say they got it, well, it doesn't matter because now after the fact, he's still promising them they're going to get it. And from the promise of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, did they ever get it back? Did they ever become one nation? No. And I know what they will say. Well, when it says house of Israel and house of Judah, that's the church. That's ludicrous. There's nothing, there's nothing there. So if you need to know Bible geography, the one thing you always need to be, this is the one part you, is essential. You need to know the land that was promised to Abraham because that is the one geographical feature. Even even when I looked up certain things, they were like, this is is the land, this is the geographical area you need to know because it's essential to understanding the entire historical narrative. Because they're fighting over that land constantly, right? They're fighting over it. They're there. They're in it. They're out. They're deported from it. Then they get to come back to it. Even when they come back to it, they don't really have it, right? And then, and then when you open up the New Testament, they, don't have it. they clearly don't have it. And do they ever get it back in the New Testament? No. And then after the New Testament period, they're dispersed again. And then 1948, they come back and they own a closet of the mansion that is promised that they, they, they like, they don't have anything. And in fact, well, we see what's happening currently today. So if you want to talk geography, this is where geography is, is tied to what uh, type of biblical literature? Prophecy. This is where biblical geography is absolutely connected to which branch of theology? Eschatology. So geography is connected to eschatology. Geography is connected to biblical prophecy. Because those prophecies, we take them as literal prophecies, mentioning literal places, because everything in the Bible talks about these places. If you're going to be studying geography, what are you studying? A literal land, literal borders, literal literal Mediterranean Sea, literal city, literal mountains, literal Bethel, Shechem, all of those places that we started looking at, Canaan. I mean, we, we started going through it quickly and, and we were trying to read through everything, but I, trying to picture it is one thing, right? But, it, but all you need to know is that's, I mean, you look on any map, you get a pretty good idea. That's covering almost everything on your map, okay? Like, that's everything there. And if you look at a modern map, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. That's Jordan, that's Saudi Arabia, that's Iraq, that's, you know, that's, oh, well, that's where the Palestinians are. Like, and you're like, whoa, how is that all going to happen? Now, this is the key, and I'll end with this, just be, and this leaves Bible geography, but this becomes another thing. The key to getting that land is not through politics. How will they obtain that land? Well, if we believe in a literal interpretation, the sky is going to open Christ is going to come back on a horse with a sword. He's going to kill 
the, the nations, right? And then there's going to be a kingdom set up. And for that kingdom, that's where we believe Israel would obtain the land. It's not through political force. It's not through anything we can do. We, we can fight and yell and scream and you can make all the political moves that you want. They're not getting the land that way because if they got the land that way, it wouldn't require Christ to come back with a sword and kill everyone he does in Revelation 19. So therefore, all of our attempts to do that is ridiculous. God will take care of that. And even though God promised them the land, this is just another thing because people keep going. People have so many issues with this. Even though God promised them the land, and even though they're God's chosen nation, that doesn't mean we cannot speak negatively of any actions they take because they can still do things that are wrong and are horrible and they can be condemned. So like sometimes people take this like, well, you can never say anything bad about Israel. That's not true, right? Have you ever read the Bible? Right? Did they commit sin then? Do they commit sin now? Yeah, right. Has America committed sins? Yes. Is America committing sins? Will it commit sins? Yeah. Like, it, like because countries are made up of people and all people are sinners. Like, it's so weird. Like, sometimes it's like either like, everything Israel does is right or everything do- Israel does is wrong. That's just ridiculous, right? Because every nation does horrible things because every nation is made up of of horrible people i don't care where you go you go to the continent of africa is everything wonderful and great there no you can go to canada is everything wonderful and great there no wherever you go because sinful people are there the world simply proves sin exists everywhere meaning it's a condition of the human nature right so but i think when it comes to geography we just got a first our first test, our first little taste of where it can be important. Because here it's essential. It's essential. And now, do you need to know everything about every one of those places? You don't need to know everything about those locations. You can, and you can add it to a sermon to sound, you know, like you're really smart. I mean, the way Sarah was throwing some of that off, that would have sounded perfect in a sermon, right? I mean, she was like, it's here, west, here, east, there. Like, she knew it all, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Because we need to know some of those locations, right? But once we kind of get a basic idea, then from there, what we need to really focus on is, okay, do they have it? Did they lose it? And is it promised to them? Because now that gets to the bigger picture. So that other stuff is good to know. But once we get that, now outside of that one large part of geography, which is a large part, okay, that's... That's like everything on the map, right? What's that? The only other thing I guess that could be possibly significant is maybe the wilderness wanderings, but all you really need to know is they just keep walking in a circle, right? Now you could argue when you look at them coming up out of Egypt, why didn't God take a direct route, right? Because I think if we look at a map, he could have just got them from Egypt to Canaan almost in a like, but he seems to be taking them like, let's go over here and let's go over here and let's go over here. And and then sometimes you're kind of like, well, why is he doing that? Well, that's once again, God's ways are not literally, (laughs) like literally, like literally. His GPS is not our GPS, right? 
Um, and of course, and you can say, well, he had to test them. He didn't have to test them. He already knew they were going to fail. So then that comes into play that then we get into the sovereignty of God. And like sometimes it almost as if sin is a part of God's plan. And that raises serious questions that nobody wants to touch. But, but there, what's more important? Just having a general idea, it's really the bigger questions are more important than the geography. But I can, so we will leave here with this. When it comes to Bible geography, what should every Christian 1,000% know? The land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. We need to know that land because we know that, that they are promised to get that land even in the new covenant. Therefore, knowing where that land is today shows you that's not going to be fixed politically. Now, well, now, it will, no, no, no human way it ever would be. No, no human way it's ever going to be fulfilled. No way. A two-state solution will not fix that problem. Well, not, well, they still will not have the land, right? So, and, and if you think about it, you've got two groups of people who both believe the land belongs to whom? Them. And you can see why, right? Those who are from, the, we'll say the descendants of Ishmael could say, well, the land was promised to Abraham's descendants. Who was the firstborn? Ishmael. So they would say, all of that is mine. And who's holding it back? Israel. Push them into the Mediterranean. Throw them away. Get rid of them. And then Israel says, no, it was not to Ishmael. It was to Isaac. And the land belongs to Push them into wherever, like I don't know which sea is closest, right? Okay, you've been there. You know which one is closest. Which one should they get pushed into? Okay, what? the point is they all want them gone. That's why the, the Hamas charter from the, the original Hamas charter does not recognize Israel as a nation and says that they should not exist. Now, I know they ratified the Hamas charter, but the basic concept is still there. The Hamas wants Israel to be what? Gone. And Israel wants, if they really are honest, they, they say they want to, but de- the really conservative ones want them gone because they want the land for themselves, because they believe it belongs to them. This is where religion, this is why atheists look at religion and says, it causes all the wars. And there's no way to deny that. There's no way to deny that. And nobody seems to ever be happy with the situation. Nobody ever seems to be happy. But knowing that land makes us make this all makes more sense, right? So this is where Bible geography is critical. So if you don't know anything else about Bible geography, know the land that was given to Abraham and know that it was literal land. And that literal land is now not a spiritual promise to the church because that would literally make no sense to the entire text. There, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Thank you so much for allowing us to do a kind of really, not a normal way of doing church, but uh, the way we do church. And I pray, Lord, that just this exercise is more important in our study of geography than maybe anything else we will do or say. Thank you for this opportunity. Hopefully this will be beneficial to those who have listened online or will listen at a later time. We, and we just thank you for that opportunity. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and God's people said,